Well, welcome Bayou City family. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor over at our Tomball campus, and I'm so excited to bring the word uh, to you this morning. So if you have a Bible, we're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 31 through 32. And um, as Johnny said last week in talking about a, a sensitive subject, uh, Jesus doesn't shy away from sensitive subjects, and uh, there are moments in life when I come to a portion of Scripture to teach, and I said, you know what, Jesus, I would rather teach on puppy dogs and, uh, and uh, rainbows, but not today, uh, because as I read this text to us this morning, you're going to see that Jesus is going to put a finger on a very painful point in many of our lives, and it's the reality of divorce. And so if you are a parent um, with young children and you uh, would not want to uh, expose your kids to a topic of divorce, we totally understand if you want to uh, tune in in a moment, um, give some time for your kids to go do something different. But this is the word of the Lord. And Jesus has something to say in every part of our life. And so I'm going to do my best to communicate what the Lord's view of divorce and marriage is to us. So let's read Matthew chapter 5. I will pray for us one more time, and then we will jump in. Matthew 5, starting verse 31, says this. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Lord, we trust you. We trust you in your wisdom and how you have designed marriage, how you want marriage to function uh, and flourish in our society and culture. And we confess, Lord, that we witness more broken marriages than we would ever want to witness. And we see more pain uh, through the reality of marriage than we would ever want to see. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom in how to live and do marriages well. We pray that you give us compassion as we walk with friends and family members who are struggling uh, with divorce. They've been divorced or they're contemplating divorce. And Lord, I pray that you would guide my words and our thoughts this morning so that we might align our lives behind your desires and your design. And Lord, I pray for the marriages right now that are struggling and maybe even feel that they're on the brink. I pray that through the, our time this morning, you would help them make a step towards you and hopefully a step toward reconciliation. We ask all of these things, and they're too big for any for anything for me to do. So Lord, we pray that your spirit would move this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've never been to Enchanted Rock, you should go. Uh, Enchanted Rock is outside of Fredericksburg. It's this beautiful uh, granite dome in the middle of the wilderness. And I remember the first time I went there uh, in high school. We were there with a group of people that were traveling there as part of a youth group. And, and we get to this beautiful dome. I'd never been there before. We start hiking around this beautiful wilderness area. Um, and at one point, the guide who's leading us uh, leads us to these large cracks and these large slabs of granite that are kind of broken off and laying in a valley. And he, he looks over at us and he goes, hey, do you know how that happened? And we're a bunch of like a high school kids. We're like, no, we have no idea how that happened. And he said, he said, what happens is small particles of water seep into small cracks in the granite surface. 
And through a process of freezing and unfreezing over time, those small cracks become large fractures. So large, in fact, that you see these huge slabs slide off and and you couldn't even lift the slab, it's so large. But small droplets of water under the right pressures and under the right circumstances cause giant rocks to break. And why did I tell you that? Because marriage is like a beautiful structure. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that God designed. It's something beautiful that should, uh, should I don't know, stir our emotions. And, and, and we all watch movies and we all watch TV shows that show the beauty of marriage, the, the beauty of a wedding day. But we've also seen cracks in marriages that become so big that we see some marriages even end in divorce. In fact, it was interesting, at the beginning of this kind of COVID season and everyone's in lockdown and in isolation, there's been kind of theories about what will happen. Uh, One theory was that there was gonna be this baby boom. So nine months later, you'll see all these babies because when people are locked in their houses and they've got nothing to do, we'll see babies on the tail end of this. And so that's one uh, hypothesis of what might happen. So we'll see in nine months. But there's also another reality that we've seen in the midst of this COVID epidemic. According to the New York Post, there's one article that says this. The number of people looking for divorces was 34% higher from March through June compared to 2019, according to the Legal Templates Institute, who studies this. A combination of stress, unemployment, financial strain, death of loved ones, illness, homeschooling, homeschooling, children, mental illness, and more has been a significant strain on these relationships. That has showed that 31% of couples admitted that lockdown has caused irreparable damage to their relationships. See, the right pressures can cause all of us to crack. And the reality is this, our marriages are extremely, extremely important and our marriage under this season, our marriages have been under tremendous strain. And so we wanna know, Jesus, what do you say about marriage? Jesus, how do you want our marriages to function? Jesus, how can we have a vibrant, life-giving marriages when there's so much pressure, so many things pulling us apart? Jesus, how can you restore a broken marriage? So this morning, we're gonna look at four ideas that Jesus lays out both in this section and in another teaching in Matthew chapter 19. We're gonna look at the debate about marriage going on in Jesus' day. We're gonna look at the design of marriage. What is God's design for marriage? Then we're gonna look at the destruction of marriage and we're gonna end with the redemption of marriage. So let's begin with, first of all, the debate that's going on in Jesus' day. There's two uh, passages in Matthew chapter 19 that really talk about marriage from Jesus' perspective. One is here in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount. Another one is much later in his ministry in Matthew chapter 19. But as you look at the two situations side by side, you see that Jesus is actually addressing a debate that's going on in the culture. He is actually addressing what's happening, an argument that's happening between Pharisees during this time. And as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, much of Jesus' teaching is in um, is where he's comparing his teaching to the teaching of the Pharisees. 
his teaching that is honoring and compatible with God's design throughout all of creation and the Pharisees that have taken the teachings of, of the law and the law of Moses and kind of twisted them to their own advantage. And we see that clearly in Matthew chapter 19, and that's ideally, or that's logically what he is doing in Matthew chapter 5. He says this in Matthew 5, 31. It was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And Matthew 19, 3 says this. One of the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him, asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And so that's what's going on. There's a debate going on. Hey, Jesus, can we get a divorce when we want to? And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 24 by saying, you've heard it said that if you're gonna divorce your wife, you must give her a certificate of divorce. And Matthew 24, one through three says it this way. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she, uh, he finds no favor in his eyes, because she, he has found something indecent in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her away from the house and she leaves his house and goes and becomes <clears throat> another man's wife. And so you have this teaching in Deuteronomy uh, where it's talking about what happens when, when a person uh, loses favor in the eyes of a spouse, when there's some indecency found in her. And that word indecency became uh, the debate. What does it mean by indecency. And there's two schools of thought, two rabbinical schools of thought that had two uh, views on what to do with this word in this situation. The first school was that of Shammai. And Shammai believed this, that indecency, some indecency refers to a sexual misdemeanor. So some sort of adultery that occurred or some sort of sexual misconduct that took place. And so that is what Shammai said is uh, the, the debate on there. So if, if there's indecency, that's the issue. There's a second school of thought, and that's from Hillel. And Hillel took that word indecency much more broadly. In fact, one scholar says it this way. <clears throat> he reportedly took it to be any complaint, even including burning dinner. So you have these two views. What is the right reason to divorce someone? Should it be some sexual misdemeanor, or should it be because, uh, because you just don't like the way she cooks? Like, how broad... Could we use, what argument could we use to actually have divorce? And so that's what the Pharisees ask in Matthew 19. Hey, can we be divorced for any reason? And Jesus is being pinned down. Jesus, give me your side. Do you want this side or that side? And if you're ever trying to pin Jesus down, just know you're going to fail. Because Jesus doesn't choose sides like that. He doesn't choose sides in a debate. Jesus is over the debate. He is over all of it. And, and what you'll see about Jesus is this. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus is more gracious than we would ever care to be. And he is more truthful than we would ever dare to be. And so Jesus takes this step back and says, look, I wanna show you not my position in the debate. I wanna show you something bigger. I'm gonna show you God's design for marriage that you guys are debating about. And then I'm gonna show you why Moses allowed this certificate of divorce. So he backs up in Matthew 19, verse three, and he says this. And he answered them and said, have you not read that he created them from the beginning, made them male and female? 
and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they, they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. He responds to the debate with the, the, with the design. And he goes back to Genesis chapter one and two, where he, where he goes back to the moment when God created marriage. He answers the question with the scripture. And listen, every debate you face in life, you need to go to the scripture. You need to answer the debate with what God has said. And he gives the, the description of literally God's design of marriage. He says, first of all, God created man and woman. God created marriage. And he, he did it kind of in a funny way. If you actually go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, it's kind of funny how he shows Adam his need for someone else. And so he, he makes Adam, he sticks him in the garden, and he starts bringing animals to him. He goes, hey, Adam, uh, go ahead and name them. And the reason he does that is because there was something not good for Adam. It says it wasn't good that he is alone. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And here's the truth. It's not good for us to be alone and isolated. We need companionship. And so God's solution to Adam's isolation was ultimately to bring a spouse, a woman, a com companion, but but he goes through a process to show, hey, all these ones aren't gonna work. And so he starts with animal life. And so he says, hey, I want you to name the animals. And so Adam's like, okay, aardvark, giraffe, hippopotamus, platypus, ant, dog. And so he starts naming all these animals and he's going along like they're furry and cute and great, but there's not a helper suitable. And at that moment, God puts Adam to sleep and he lays him out and he takes out a bone and crafts a woman and brings the woman to him. He wakes him up. And at that moment, Adam busts into poetry. He's like, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You'll be called woman because, whoa, man, like you are amazing. Like he busts out in poetry seeing the beauty of this woman. And look, he paraded the animals. He didn't parade the women. Huh? He paraded the animals, these are not white, and he brings a single woman. And he didn't parade men in front of the woman, he brings one. He's like, this is it, this is your one. And they see one another, and they began a process of marriage. God oversees the first marriage. He says, God makes the two into one. He makes the two into one new flesh. You see, God is, when God makes a marriage, it's not the courthouse that makes the marriage. It's not the pastor overseeing the moment that makes the marriage. Marriage is a covenant between two people and God himself. And he makes these two into one. I listened to a country music song recently, uh, and I'm not like a country music fan. I'm so sorry, people of Tomball. But I've been studying, right? I've been growing and expanding myself. And so my wife has actually even made fun of me recently for listening to country music, but I'm, I'm trying to become all things to all people that by all means someone might be saved, right? And so I've been listening to country music and there's one song that came out recently and as I'm listening to the lyrics, I just go, false, false. Like this is wrong. And there's nothing, it's a sweet song, it's a nice song. And if you love the song, I'm so sorry, I'm gonna rain on your song. And the song is called this, Change Your Name. And in the chorus, this songwriter says this, oh I, I don't wanna change who you are, I don't wanna mess with your dreams, 
or get in the way of who you wanna be. No, I don't wanna stop your run, run, <clears throat> runaway heart. Sorry. <clears throat> I just want you, I just, uh, I just wanna be uh, why you stay. The only thing I change about you is I change your name. I don't wanna change anything about you, not your dreams, not your goals, not your aspirations. I just wanna change your name. But then later on in the song, he says some other things he actually is gonna change about her. He says, I change uh, the face you see when you wake up in the morning. I change the lips you kiss when you say goodnight for the rest of your life. Ah, it was a great, great song, great song, great song. And uh, as you hear those lyrics, you go, man, I, you're sweet to say that you don't want to, um, to crush a woman. Like, that's nice. Like, don't, you don't wanna crush a person. That's not good, man or woman. You don't wanna do that. However, the idea that you could get married and not change anything about the other person is absurd. It's ridiculous. Hillary and I got married uh, many, many years ago. Uh, I was almost 25 at the time. Um, but we started dating when she was 14 and I was 16. Now, today, we have four kids. If I would have said to that 14-year-old girl, hey, sweetheart, I don't want to change anything about you. Over the next couple decades, we're going to be together. Nothing will change. Yet I bring that woman four kids. Guess what? She's different. And guess what? Me too. Like I had more hair back then. I was cuter. Like things are going to change in marriage. And two becoming one, let me tell you what, if you want to hold on to your dreams and not change any of those and any of your focus and any of your future, let's, guess what? You should not get married because all of those will shift rightly if you actually are going to give your life to this person, you will change. The two will become one. Your vision and direction of life has to change if you want to stay together. And it says, God establishes marriage, verse six. So what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus says in this moment, listen, marriage is a beautiful thing. It is designed by God. It is a beautiful union of two people for a new direction, a new life direction. And it's so beautiful. In fact, God uses that illustration to talk about himself and his relationship with his people. In Jeremiah 31, God calls himself a husband. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I make you a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them from the hand and led them out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. See, when God talks about marriage, he talks about relationship, and he talks about himself with his people and he says, in that relationship, you've even broken it, but I'm still a husband who's committed to you. Jesus himself calls himself the bridegroom. Like he calls himself a husband in the church, his bride. The design of marriage is both something beautiful between two people, but it's also a picture of what God talks about when he talks about his relationship with his people. It is a binding covenant that is not to be broken. And it's so binding, God says of himself, it's like my picture, my commitment, my love for you. But if we're honest with ourselves, although there is a beautiful design to marriage, we've all watched the destruction of marriage. We've all watched marriages break. 
And Jesus gives the reason why we watch marriages break in both Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19. He says in verse 32 of Matthew 5, but I say to you that if everyone who divorces his wife except for the grounds of sexual morality makes her commit adultery, he says, there it is, right there. One reason that marriages break is because of unfaithfulness, adultery. In Matthew 19, verse seven, he says this, they said to him, why did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And that's their question, uh, in Matthew 19, didn't Moses command us to divorce our wives if there's some sort of infidelity there? But Jesus answers that. Infidelity isn't a reason alone to get a divorce. Verse eight, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. God's design was never for divorce. And Moses' concession to allow divorce was reflected on a single truth that no single reason for every divorce, the hardness of our hearts. Sin causes the destruction of marriages. Sin. And the Bible gives several categories of, of, of why certain marriages get broken. One of them is adultery. There's an unfaithfulness of one of the other spouses. And so in that situation, some people choose to go down the road of divorce. Paul has an example, another reason for divorce in 1 Corinthians 7. He says this, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister uh, is not enslaved, but God has called you to be at peace. There's another reality that Paul address, addresses in 1 Corinthians 7, and that's of abandonment. If you are married to the person, that person flees and runs and refuses to be married to you, you're not enslaved to that marriage if, in the case of abandonment. And the third category is kind of an inference. It's not directly uh, given by scripture, and it's the, the context of abuse. So there could be adultery, there could be abandonment, there could be abuse. All of these are sins that are caused by the hardness of our heart, according to Jesus. And let me just say, if you are a victim of adultery, abandonment, or abuse, let me just tell you, first of all, God knows how you feel. God knows how you feel. And you are not required by God to stay in that marriage. In fact, I would say this. If you are a victim of abuse within your marriage, you need to call the police. Jesus is not asking you to stay in an abusive, unsafe situation for yourself or if you have children, for your children. And I would encourage you to call our church because we want to help you as well if you are struggling through these particular issues of adultery, abuse, or abandonment. But in our culture right now, those actually aren't the primary reasons people get divorced. Those aren't what hit the top of the list. In fact, there's one study looking at the leading causes of divorce. The leading cause, number one, was basic incompatibility. That's number one at 43% of divorces. 
The second one was infidelity at 28%. The third one was money issues at 22%. So if you just added that to basic incompatibility, 43 plus 22%, math majors can do the, what are that, 65% of marriages are because of money issues. The fourth one is because of emotional or physical abuse, and that's at 5.8%. So it's actually a very small percentage of marriages for that. And 0.05% is um, addiction to um, alcohol or, or something else. Um, the reality is the leading causes of divorce in our culture actually aren't the ones that the Bible prescribes. They're usually these other categories, these other reasons that we seek divorce, that kind of basic incompatibility. And there's a reason for that, I feel like, in our culture. It's because there's, there's a lie that we've believed. And it's this, that the goal of life is to be happy. And if there are things in my life that are making me not happy, I need to get rid of them. And so relationships become disposable when they no longer make me happy. What's fascinating is the research does not support that divorce will make you happier. In fact, there's one study um, in the book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. I could not recommend it more highly. It's a phenomenal book, so I encourage you to pick it up and read it regardless of your thoughts on marriage. I encourage you to read it. There's a study by Linda J. Waite that he quotes, and it says this, divorce did not typically reduce symptoms of depression, raise self-esteem, or increase a sense of mastery. In fact, what they found as they continued other studies that he quotes that divorce actually brought really very few benefits to people's lives. It actually did not make them any happier. And the reason it doesn't make you happier is because divorce doesn't satisfy the problems. Because there's a deeper problem we all face. There's a deeper brokenness we all feel. And we hope that the one will fix us. And we're victims of the one myth. And the one myth, Andy Stanley coined this term, and so I'm stealing it from him ruthlessly. Tim Keller, Andy Stanley, thank you, gentlemen. The one myth says this. Once I find the right one, then everyone will be all right. Then everything will be all right. Once I find the right one, then everything will be all right. I will be okay once I find the perfect one. And let me tell you what, there's no right one for you. And here's the truth. None of us are the right one for anyone. Kevin, we're gonna talk about divorce and those people over there. Like, I'm not the right one for them. Single people, let me tell you. If you're looking to find the right one, that is a fool's errand. There is not the right one for you. Why? Because you are only the wrong one for someone else. Soak it in for a moment. Let me read you. From Duke University, ethics professor Stanley Haberwas says this. Destructive marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes that marriage and family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment, necessary to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. Oh no, we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Uh, one pastor friend of mine says this, uh, dating is the process of lying to someone long enough to commit. Like that, <laughs> you, or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. 
for marriage being the enormous thing that it is means that we are not the same person that we entered into it as. The problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself. Oh, man. There is no right one. We will change. By God's grace, maybe we're becoming more like Christ, but over time, there's a lot of pain and hurt and disappointment that we all face, and we become different people as we go. And as, we, as that sin arises in our marriage and we don't look to love the person that they are today, we see marriages get more and more destroyed. And we look for a reason to get out because we're not happy. And Jesus says, that's not a good reason to look to leave this one. But there is redemption. There's a design of marriage. There's destruction of marriage. But look, marriages can be redeemed. How can marriages be redeemed? Well, the question is this. How does Jesus respond to those in the midst of broken relationships, of broken marriages, who have been divorced Many, many, many times. The beautiful story of, in John chapter four shows this picture. Jesus is tired. And they're in the area of Samaria and he sits down and, and, and he says to his disciples, hey, just go get, get some, some water for us to drink or go get some food for us. I'm gonna sit right here. And a woman comes to the well. And she goes to the well and starts drawing some water and and Jesus says to this woman, he starts up a conversation. He says, would you give me something to drink? And she says, okay, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Why are you even talking to me? And Jesus answered her, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and I would have given you living Water And the woman says, living water? And he goes, yeah, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But if you were to come to me, I would give you water and you would never thirst again. And so he begins this conversation with this woman on thirst. And she says, okay, always give me this water. And at that moment, Jesus changes the conversation to show that what you thirst for has never been satisfied in you. He says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. See, Jesus is more truthful than any one of us would dare to be. Isn't he? I mean, if you knew someone's past, would you just bring it right up in front of their face to say, hey, let's look at the problem. So you thirst for relational intimacy. And let me tell you something. No man can ever fill the deep desires of your heart, ladies. And men, no woman can meet the deep thirst that you have in life. They weren't designed to meet your deepest needs. No one completes you. Marriage is wonderful, but marriage does never satisfy the deep thirsts and longings that you have. It won't. It can't. It's a freight it was never meant to carry. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. He was the Christ. And he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, 
I who speak to you am he. See, there is redemption in broken marriages. See, marriages won't fix your thirst for relationship and divorce won't fix it either. There is a bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who gives himself for you. He will forgive your sins. He can repair the fractures of your broken heart and your broken marriage. There is no other solution to fix your marriage than to start with Jesus Christ. He's the only one strong enough. And from that place, Paul tells us, because you have been so forgiven, you can forgive. Because you have been so loved, you can love. So what should we do? I'm gonna give you three ideas and a closing illustration. The sin of your spouse, first of all, doesn't guarantee the need for divorce. Reconciliation is preferable. And for those of you that are struggling in the reality of, of divorce, you, you feel yourself on the brink in this COVID situation, this, these fractures in your relationship, I would encourage you to seek help. You can go to our prayer line right now and call up. Someone will pray with you and we can get a pastor connected with you. Secondly, if you have gotten a divorce, there is forgiveness in Christ. Jesus, in this conversation with this woman, invites her in relationship with him. Jesus is more gracious. So if you are carrying the stigma of divorce in your past, let me tell you what, there is grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It is there and it is there for you right now. Thirdly, if you are seeking divorce, please, please, please reach out to us. We want to help you. We want to walk with you in this situation and we want ultimately to see the redemption of your marriage. That's what our desire is. When I was on that trip in, um, in Enchanted Rock, the guide led us tons of different places. He led us uh, through the caves. He led us, at one point even, um, rappelling. And as we're rappelling, uh, the, I don't know if you've ever rappelled down the side of a mountain. It's terrifying, right? And so there's the guide, and he's probably there in his 20s, and we're like a bunch of teenagers. And he brings us over to the edge of this cliff. And he says, I want you to put on this harness and I want you to hold on to this rope. It's gonna be around you and you're just gonna descend into the depths of the earth. It's gonna be great. And as I'm standing there uh, leaning back over this precipice, uh, there's, a, there's a couple different responses that you can have. You can say, oh, I completely trust this individual that's holding me to my death and, uh, and jump and go. But most of us, as we lean back, we say, you know what? I don't know if I trust you. And as that person's looking at you, you're like, no, 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 I got you, I got you. I've done this like with 30 other kids. Most of them have all survived. Like, I, just trust me, like, do this. And in many ways, that's marriage. It feels like you're standing over a precipice and you're saying, do I think this other person has the strength to hold me up? Let me affirm, they do not. They don't. 
See, there is something stronger than the two of us. And you can't at one moment say, I don't trust this, and grab the person. And guess what? You're going to both tumble, and you're both going to fall. And some of us treat marriage like, I need to grab onto this person to fix me and to complete me and to hold me up. And, and they can't. We don't trust in the strength of the person. We trust in the strength of the rope. Jesus Christ is strong enough to hold up your marriage. And I don't know what trial you're facing right now in life, but I do know that Jesus is the solution. I don't know what struggle you're facing in life, but I know that Jesus is strong enough to hold your marriage together. We're gonna close um, with two songs in response. The first one is this, it's, it's called Waymaker. And I think it's so appropriate in this situation, in this context of this sermon, because I know many of you are struggling deeply in your marriages and you are asking the question, God, is there any way out? And the answer is yes. The chorus of the song says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. By God's grace, he can bring healing to your marriage. Let me pray. Lord, I wanna pray right now for the marriages that are on the brink. And Lord, I pray that you would bring men and women to you. And Lord, many of us have been trying to hold on to this other person to fix us or we've been running to other relationships to satisfy the deep thirsts of our heart. Lord, I hope we see that those things will never satisfy. But Lord, you love marriage. You want to redeem marriages. I pray that people that are struggling in their marriages right now would reach out, they would, they would pray. They would reach out to our prayer line so that they can pray. They would send emails to our pastor so we could come in. They would receive counseling and help. They would fight for their marriages because they are worth fighting for. And Lord, I know many of us are friends of people struggling with divorce and marriage. I pray um, that those people would reach out. They would encourage. They would put their arms around their friends that are struggling and they would help them to um, repair the broken marriages. Lord, ultimately, Jesus, I pray that you'd bring stability in our marriages. And we could trust you, Jesus, that you're working even when we don't see it. We love you. Amen.